Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. Evening, and um, I believe they're on the back table there, so if you haven't grabbed one, go ahead and grab one. Um, but as you're doing so, um, just uh, see if you can tune in to this, this question here. This question, do you do well? Do you do well? That's the, the title of this sermon, and we'll see uh, where that comes from this evening. Do you do well? Is the very question that the Lord asked Jonah. Do you do well? I don't know how many times you've ever been in a conversation with someone, and they asked you a very pointed, clear, probing question. One that just kind of cuts you to your core. I don't know if you've been there, perhaps you have. You've sat across the table from someone and they ask you a question that you just know that there's a certain level of rebuke to, but it's in all gentleness. A question asking, perhaps from a, a faithful friend saying, hey man, what were you thinking? Or perhaps from a parent of saying, man, didn't I, didn't I teach you better? That's it what I believe exactly what we'll see in the text this evening. Jonah chapter 4 will teach us this one truth. You'll have it there for you on your bulletin for those of you at home. It's this one truth. God will gently reprove us when we fail to show compassion. God will gently reprove us when we fail to show compassion. So join me in the reading of God's word. God says this, beginning in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being 
in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Father, I pray that we would see from your word this evening you, the model you set for us in compassion on souls. I pray that we would rightfully examine ourselves this evening to see our same call towards compassion towards those who do not know you. And that we would receive a gentle rebuke from you if we are like Jonah. So I pray that this would be shaping for us as a body to send us out on mission to see your name glorified as we just prayed for. So Father, would you do all of this in us this evening by the power of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, Pastor Brian, if you were here, kind of divided up Jonah for us, saying that Jonah can be understood as a series of episodes, that there's seven episodes that take place throughout the book of Jonah. And by way of recap, let's remember where we've been. In the first episode, we see Jonah's flight to Joppa and his disobedience. The second, we see Jonah's proceedings with the mariners as he's thrown overboard. The third episode, Jonah's great prayer from the pit of the well. And last week, we saw Jonah's preaching to Nineveh and Nineveh's repentance in the fourth and fifth episodes, which leads us to tonight. What is the sixth episode that we will see tonight? It's this first, Jonah has great displeasure due to God showing compassion. Read with me in chapter 3, verse 10, as we remember what the Lord had done. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do on them, and he did not do it. God had great compassion on the city of Nineveh. And we'll see in verses 1 through 3, this caused great displeasure for Jonah. Read with me in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. As we're taking notes, the first thing we see here is letter A is a pouting prophet. A pouting prophet. That Jonah was displeased exceedingly. The word there is to describe a manner in which you are over an exuberant amount of emotion and feeling. And Jonah's displeasure here was great. But also accompanying that displeasure was a, a level of anger. As I've talked to many of you about, anger is, is a, a sin that I often feel, uh, an emotion I often feel, but a sin I rather act on. Jonah was feeling both here. He was pouting. Have you ever been there? Not getting your way. The very thing you don't want to have happen, happens. And as a petulant child would do, we sit on the floor and kick and scream when we don't get our way. But what was Jonah so put out about? What was Jonah so petulant about? What was he a pouting prophet over? It was God's compassion on Nineveh. We see this in verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He was exceedingly displeased over God's salvation. If that doesn't sit well with you, it shouldn't. I tried to read as many commentaries as I could this week to try to get someone to explain to me how a prophet of God could possibly be displeased over this. Perhaps you have an answer because none of them could come up with an answer as to anything besides great depravity and sin. had conversations with many of you and as we just did in our prayer gathering of praying for people in our lives, we long to know, come to know Christ. We, we long for that. So often in the study of Jonah, we see a reflection of ourselves in Jonah and here the first time we see a reflection that is off-putting, is one that we hope isn't in our heart. But as we'll see as we go through the text, the heart is often revealed most in our actions. Because what we saw here in verse two is this is a pitiful prayer. Jonah, a prophet of God, able to pray to God, knowing that God has spoken to him and answered and appointed a fish and sent him on this great duty and knows that God will hear his prayer, prays this pitiful prayer. The man who once prayed a powerful prayer in the pit of a well is now reduced to a man praying a pitiful prayer. You know, I, I think that self-awareness is one of the biggest keys to killing sin in the Christian life. It's in my opinion, the ability to look in a mirror and objectively assess your thoughts and emotions and then hold them up to scripture is an ability that will serve you well so as we look in the mirror of ourselves this evening after looking at Jonah, perhaps a question we should be asking of ourselves is, is this, or do we have telltale signs that we are pouting that someone else has received compassion? Because at, at the outset of the study of this text, I could not see myself in Jonah until I looked attempted to look objectively at myself this week. And that's my prayer that you'll do that even in these moments is to be objective, that you too have the telltale signs that you are put out when others receive compassion, perhaps not unto salvation, prayerfully, but absolutely when others receive compassion. In the first way that you can see a telltale sign of pouting that someone else has received compassion in your own life is this, is we all keep list of others' wrongdoings. Keep a record of wrongdoings. 1 Corinthians 13 would speak against this. But is it not true we keep track of other people's sins? All for the purpose not of making ourselves feel better, but oftentimes we keep track because we're blown away when they receive compassion. We say, surely not them, do we not know, God, how could you, how could you show mercy to them? Do they not openly discredit your name? Do they not openly try to tear down your name? You could perhaps fill in the blank with many people that you've seen throughout the world of, that live in 
opposition to the gospel. And perhaps it's not as blatant as Jonah's, but it's more sedimentary. It's more lurking at the bottoms of the depths of the ocean of your flesh that all you have to do is stir up and you see. You start asking questions like that of them, almost as if though you were wishing for God's wrath to be poured out on them. And the second way, I think, is what we saw here with Jonah is a telltale sign is if your prayer life turns to more comparison rather than praise. Perhaps you know what I mean. Maybe you don't. If you've never been there, it's a, a prayer life that in prayer, instead of thanking God for the compassion that he's shown you, the greatest compassion ever in Christ, that you start comparing, saying, God, you've withheld from me. You've, you've given to this person a great grace. Why not me? Our prayers turn from thanking God for his compassion to questioning. The prayers sound like, why them and not me? Why bless them and not me? Why punish them, or rather, why punish me and not them, God? It's my prayer that if this is not tracking or connecting your life, that that's a, a testimony of God's compassion to you, that he's not allowed you to be given over to the hardness of heart and to sin because that's exactly what's happened with Jonah. But we would be naive to think we're not as susceptible. Perhaps if you're sitting here this evening saying, that's not me, praise God. That this isn't a wake-up call, but rather a warning. A warning to see that God's compassion is what we should pray for constantly, not only for ourselves, but for others. Now, how does this pouting prophet's pitiful prayer conclude? Verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. How does it conclude? A petty pleading. A petty pleading. He is asking that the Lord take his very life because the Lord showed compassion. Pettiness. When we don't get our way, do we digress? Do we break down? Do we enter into a self-feeding cycle of self-pity? If we do, it's often because of our flesh in these moments and not realizing the grace that's already been shown to us. Again, this is the depths of depravity. If this feels heavy, it should. Praise God if it's not in your life that you're seeing this, but this is what we're seeing in the prophet Jonah. One of the most beautiful books in all of scripture because it shows the heights of grace and the depths of men's sin. The sovereignty of God in salvation and great salvation. It covers a gambit that really is a testament of the overarching story of salvation, of how God has brought salvation, and it is beautiful. You see, for us, the life of a Christian much more should be like the life of a true prophet. You see, a prophet should be pouring out their life for the sake of other people coming to know God. This prophet is the antithesis of what a prophet should be. This prophet shows us a contrast for Christ. Jonah only lives for himself, running from discomfort, 
crying that God shows compassion. It's a contrast to Christ because Christ lives only unto God. He ran towards the discomfort of the cross and crying out as he stood over Jerusalem, how long have I longed to draw you unto myself as a mother hen draws her chicks unto herself, but you were not willing. What great compassion we see in Christ, the better prophet than Jonah. How does God respond to this pouting, pitiful, petty prophet? It's a mouthful, isn't it? How does he respond? Does he respond in anger? Jonah's angry, so he's angry himself. Is that how God responds? In wrath? How would you respond to someone who's actively lamenting the Lord's saving souls? Would you have anger? I know I would. Would you be disgusted? Absolutely. God does reprove Jonah, but it's not as we might do so in our zeal. God is just as gentle to his prophet as he was to Nineveh. This is a consistent message that we get to see both in this Lord's Day morning and Lord's Day evening. The gentleness of Christ is not because Christ is wholly different from God, but it's the manifestation of God, that God is gentle to both the prophet and the Ninevites here. This is what is made manifest in our second heading, God's reproval in verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? The question, the probing question, what gentleness in light of such depravity, in light of such sin, that a holy and just God that has every reason to pour out his wrath Instead, ask a question. Would we take note from that? When our flesh is elicited, when we know that someone is sinful, when someone has sinned against us, when we see that others are apathetic or outright sinful, showing no compassion to you or to anyone else, would we remember how Christ has responded to us? We remember how God has responded to his prophet here in gentleness. Sometimes a well-timed question sinks deeper than the hardest rebuke. Sometimes a question that allows the hearer to come to the conclusion themselves is all the more beneficial to the soul than 10,000 accusations or admonitions hurled at them. This is a time for solemn self-reflection for you as you're hearing this message. This is a message of God's compassion and a prophet being put out by it. Do you lack compassion? How would you know? Do you lack compassion for those in this city that are dying apart from Christ? Do you like compassion in general? How do, you, how do you know? In the first place, I would submit that you're apathetic. Lack of compassion fuels apathy. 
As Jonah, you flee the responsibility to share the gospel, then at times share half-heartedly as he did in single message in the city. And finally, perhaps you're content to sit back and watch God's wrath kindle, as we saw and we read with Jonah. Apathy. What fuels apathy is a lack of compassion, so specifically apathy toward sharing the gospel. If you've ever wondered why you don't share as much as you feel like you should or as much as you want to, yes, boldness, yes, perhaps feelings of inadequacy prevent you, but what I would submit is the greatest motivator for sharing the good news of Christ is compassion on the one that will hear. Because you know if they do not hear, they will spend eternity apart from Christ. In his love, and the only thing they will have of God is his eternal wrath. If that doesn't move you to compassion, my friends, I would ask you, why not? Because that is the compassion and gentleness that someone was so bold to share with you. In the second place, how do you know you lack compassion Perhaps you desperately seek comfort. You desperately seek comfort. Desire for comfort robs compassion. Like Jonah, you seek to remove yourself from the uncomfortable call to evangelize. It will cost you something. It will cost you comfort. Perhaps it will cost you that relationship. It will absolutely cost you time. The things that you give yourself to the things that you think will bring you comfort. Ask my brothers who got to go with me this past week to share. Is there any type of comfort like seeing someone understand the gospel or hear it? There's no greater comfort than doing what you were designed to do. There's no greater moment that the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, empowers you, surrounds you, brings scripture to mind, assures you that you're his. You're seeking comfort. It's found where the Spirit is, and the Spirit is in this city, actively drawing wayward sons and daughters to himself, and we are the means by which he's going to call them home. I think in the third way you know you may lack compassion is if you wallow in self-pity. If you find yourself in a cycle of self-pity so often, I would submit that perhaps you lack compassion because compassion is, by definition, setting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on someone else. Self-pity takes your eyes off Christ, off your mission, and off of others and places them on yourself. And this is not meant to be a, a stinging rebuke, but rather a honest look into the mirror to see if we see these things in our heart and if we do we have no reason to lose heart we have no reason to stay we have every reason to go forward because as the Lord desires to show compassion to those we share the gospel with he shows compassion to you and your shortcomings as we talked about this morning it should fuel you and spring you into mission all throughout the week. After the Lord's gentle reproval here, we enter into the final episode of this great story. 
Jonah's story concludes with three appointed object lessons to teach him and therefore us about compassion. An object lesson is uh, something that's placed in a story that has uh, a deeper meaning, perhaps a metaphor or an allegory for something. And we'll see three here in the text. This is an appointed object lesson. Again, the, the theme of this morning of an appointed grace in Christ fuels us in our understanding here, properly understanding scripture, that there's appointed means to teach us. Our lessons are found in verses five through 11. Verse five, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Jonah's going to find a place to watch the destruction of the city, not knowing what we have been keyed into in chapter three, that the Lord has saved the entire city. He's sitting there watching, waiting to watch the world burn. But what he's doing there, if you notice, is he built a booth for himself. He's not just going outside of the city to disassociate with the city, hoping that hellfire and brimstone fall on the city. No, he's observing a Israelite practice. You see, uh, he's zealous for parts of what God commands, but not all. What do I mean by that? He set up a booth for himself. This is the festival of booths. The Israelite nation celebrates so many different festivals, but one of which is the festival of booths where they would actively go outside of their houses and build lean-tos out of palm branches or sticks. And they would live outside for that day to remember how the Lord provided for them when they were in the wilderness. It's a booth that they would make for themselves. And that's what Jonah is doing here. He's actively remembering God's provision for Israel while actively hoping for the destruction of Nineveh. It's dark. What can we learn from this? Letter A, we should desire God's compassion for others, not divine judgment. We should desire God's compassion. God showed his compassion to the nation of Israel in the wilderness by providing for them. And Jonah loved that. He did not love the compassion the Lord were to show to a pagan nation of Nineveh. When I said that this story of Jonah is such a great story, it's talking about the overarching, it ties together the overarching story of salvation all throughout Scripture. This is some of the first inklings in a minor prophet. We get to see that the gospel, the good news, is going to go out to more than just Israel. This is a first prophet in a line that's an A-type of a, an apostle like Peter that has to be corrected and when Paul corrects him to his face and says the gospel was for all people. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of that moment. But as we venture into verse six, we begin seeing some of our object lessons here. Verse six, now the Lord God appointed a plant. The Lord appointed this plant to come about and he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant the first thing I want to draw your attention to there in the text is why, why appoint a plant here in our, in our text? Uh, I'm calling it the appointed weed for alliteration references. It'll be easy to remember this week. But why? Why does God appoint this? Didn't Jonah already build a, a booth for himself? 
what we're being keyed into here is understanding that even Jonah's provision for himself is not sufficient. His lean-to, his little booth, could not cover him. The Lord had to provide an appointed plant to fully cover him. This plant is a shadow of Christ's provision for both Nineveh and the prophet, for both Israel and the Gentiles. As Isaiah 11:1 1 would prophesy, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots that shall bear fruit. It's a beautiful prophecy of showing how the nation of Israel will continue in disobedience and they'll be cut down like a stump, but there will be a shoot that remains, and that's Christ. And that shoot will be a blessing, not just for Israel, but for all nations. That includes us in here this morning, or rather this evening. Note Jonah was exceedingly glad for this plant. It says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was exceedingly glad, why? Because it was for his own comfort, as we've already discussed this evening. He was seeking his own comfort. Yet he was exceedingly displeased with the Ninevites, that were like this plant springing up in salvation. So a literal plant brings some great gladness, but the springing up of salvation brought him exceeding displeasure. So the lesson from the appointed weed is this, is compassion is for sinners, not saints. Compassion is for sinners, not saints. And uh, these Fill in the blanks here. I, I want to make sure I'm forthcoming here. Uh, anytime it's saying the lesson from the appointed weed or worm or what we'll get to in the wind. Uh, pastor Bailey mentioned a faithful pastor, Phil Johnson, uh, taught at length on uh, Jonah. And I am absolutely borrowing those points for him. Something I typically don't do, but I, I find them beautiful and helpful and something that stuck with me for a long time, so I'm um, giving him that full credit on these. But that first point, compassion is for sinners, not saints. What it means is this, the Lord shows you compassion not because you are a saint. Therefore, we do not show compassion only to those we believe deserve it. It's what the lesson of the weed is to teach us. It reveals that Jonah wants compassion for this Weed, which we will see, but not for the nation of Nineveh. For us, that the same compassion that we seek to have for only those that we view are righteous, those that are good people. I can't believe that happened to them. They're such a good person. They're, I can't believe that's happening to them. Man, they just love people so well. Rather than seeing compassion is yes, for saints, but all the more the person who needs compassion is the sinner. Continue with me as we see our second appointed lesson, verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Again, we see the pouting prophet here in his petulance. But the lesson to learn here is not necessarily from Jonah, but from the appointed worm. The appointed worm, the lesson to learn here is that his compassion is for people, not things. Compassion is for people, not things. So we just said Jonah had compassion on the plant, but not on the people of Nineveh. A plant that's here today, gone tomorrow. 
more compassion than an everlasting soul made in the image and likeness of God. Now, why did the Lord appoint this worm to take away the weed? The Lord had cause to grow. Why did he appoint it? Why does he allow a plant to come up and then appoint a worm to take it away? God has a beautiful way of removing from us the things that bring us comfort, doesn't he? It's what he was doing here with Jonah to remind us that he alone should be our source of comfort. The lesson for for Jonah. But what did the removal of comfort show about Jonah's heart? What would it show about our heart? That the destruction of the weed and the survival of Nineveh birthed the same response. Did you catch that? The destruction of the weed and the survival of Nineveh birthed the same response. That he wanted to die. What evil to pity yourself when you lose comfort when others are losing their lives eternally. Do we do that? Do we behave as Jonah, lacking compassion? I would say we tend to do that every day when we refuse to die to our own comforts that others might live eternally. We see our final object lesson in an appointed win, verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow which came into being in a night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The third object lesson is this, compassion is for others, not self. The compassion that God has shown to us, we're to show to others and it's not to feel our own self-pity as we saw here with Jonah. Do we not see that self-pity when the Lord even asked him a second time with a gentle reproof, do you do well to be angry? And he doubles down. He puts all of his chips into the pot and says, I do well, so well enough to die. The Lord is teaching him here that the pity for the plant that was only here today and gone tomorrow should be nowhere near as the pity we should have in the souls who don't know Christ. So before we leave here this evening, I have a question. It was a question that I've been asking myself this week. It was a question that the Lord asked of Jonah and a question I want to ask of you. Do you do well in your compassion? Do you do well to be displeased if you feel like the Lord is withholding compassion? Do you do well in your advancement of compassion? See, the question can be asked in numerous different ways, but the root is the same thing. If you have received compassion, are you extending compassion? I spoke on it a little bit this morning. You heard Pastor Brian speak on it. But I think the, the way for us to take Jonah and actually implement it into our lives is not to just hear and, and take notes and perhaps be convicted but it's to fuel us. You heard me talk about it today, about the countless, countless number of people 
that we got to see Thursday evening in a room where most of us in this room now are somewhat in that collegiate context, our ability to still relate with those that are. Hear me, I, I, I get it. There's a pandemic. It's hard enough to share as it is. There's fear. There's worry. There's doubt. It'll cost you something. But the only way that Jonah will be beneficial for us as a church is if we extend the same compassion the Lord extended to Nineveh. We may not be like Jonah sitting back and gladly seeing the people in your classrooms, in your jobs, walking down the street in Blackbird. You may not be gladly knowing that they are departing this world apart from Christ. But what are we doing? What are we doing? I want to give you a picture what I see us in this city doing because we are so heavy in the collegiate context. A simple opportunity to be obedient. Simple opportunity to take what the Lord has shown you and live it out. Thursday evenings, street evangelism may not be a gifting that you have, but absolutely to be able there to hand out a simple gospel tract, to pray with someone, or perhaps to share boldly. Dream with me for a second. How many people are in our body? How many people in this body know and love Christ so well? I know you guys do. We're set up there on the crosswalk going down Hancock Street and we're trying to flag down as many people as we possibly can asking them, is, is Jesus the only way to heaven? I couldn't be happier to know that this dream could come true. This is not just a dream, but it's something I believe that genuinely can happen. That there's a group of us, not just on one side of the crosswalk, but the other side. There's a group of us on the corner at the courthouse. There's a group of us in the corner at Amici. There's a group of a corner of us at the Verizon store, a corner there at Barbaritos. And so that when there are literally hundreds of people going downtown on Thursday, they were literally having to walk by three to six groups of people wanting to share the gospel with them. Why can that not happen? It can. That we can be salt and light in this city. And, and here's what I want to encourage you with. The church will advance. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. A pandemic is nothing to the gospel. And as much as we should be diligent in making sure that there's safety, what I'm here to tell you is go downtown on a Thursday night. This is our context. This is not nationally, so I feel that I can speak to this in our context and see how many people are legitimately worried about that social distancing or masking. It's not a hurdle to advance the gospel. Health concern, yes, but it is not a hurdle to advance the gospel. I sat on the street at midnight on Thursday night and a boy wrapped his arms around me and sobbed. 
thanking me for sharing the gospel with him. Not worried about social distancing, not worried about anything. Because he knew I loved him, and I loved him because my Savior first loved me. We can do that. We have the time to do that. We have the ability to do that. We know the gospel here. What I'm asking you is, do you do well in your compassion that drives you to do that? I pray that we would do well and not look for reasons not to, but reasons why Christ is equipping us to do so. Father, thank you for your grace, your kindness, your goodness to us, the great compassion which you showed to Nineveh, you have shown to every single one of us that are your children. So it's our prayer that you would show us rightly how to view this city through your eyes. May we not be like Jonah, but may we be like the greater prophet Christ who looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept for their salvation. He didn't just weep and feel deep sympathy, but he went to the cross, making a way, clearing our way to show great compassion and to speak boldly the truth of the gospel. Father, it's for your glory that we pray and ask all these things. Amen.